I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Thanks for joining us. If you don't have uh, television, your family or friends don't have TV, they can go to www.hotm.com and .tv, excuse me, and watch live from anywhere in the world streaming video uh, the show tonight. Uh, we welcome our podcast viewers and listeners, our streaming video viewers, our YouTube viewers, and those of you who watch through the archives. The Lord has taken this obscure little program and all over the world. And so we praise His name and we thank you for watching and sharing Heart of the Matter with your friends and family. We have a great friend to the ministry. His name is Reed. I've mentioned him before who is quite aphoristic in his thoughts and delivery. Last week, Reed was asked by a member of the Mormon Church if he believed the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God. Reed's response was a classic. You've got to write it down. You've got to use it. I'm going to steal it and claim it my own anytime I can. Reed said, I believe the Book of Mormon to be the Word of God as long as it's plagiarized correctly. <laughs> So it's a classic response. Uh, for those of you who don't realize it, uh, the Book of Mormon tells the tale of Jesus coming to the Americas and the actual gospel of Jesus Christ being here upwards of 600 years before the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another fantastic insight from resident Bible student and good friend Brandon P. He sent me this reference and wrote, quote, this sure puts a damper on the LDS the, the LDS's theology about the Americas. All right, what was the passage? It's Psalms 147, 19 through 20. Now, we're going to have this passage come up on the screen. Listen and read this passage with me. This is the Lord speaking about Israel, okay? It says, He showeth his word unto Jacob, his statues and his judgments unto Israel. He has not dealt so with any nation. And as, and as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise ye the Lord. So it's Israel only, folks. No Nephite nation, no American continent visits. It was Israel only prior to the cross. And then the Lord reached out to other nations. That's a real treasure of a find to be able to use in your quiver of biblical responses to things like the Book of Mormon. If you live in the state of Utah, you are well aware that most of the LDS-owned businesses 
uh, are closed on Sundays, what uh, the LDS call the Sabbath day. As Christians who live in liberty of Christ and are dead to the law, as Paul tells us to be, our position is that if a person or a people want to observe a day of the week, um, so be it. As, as they're observing it to honor God, who's going to criticize it? There are, however, some cautions to consider when a religion suggests that certain rules, like observing a day that they call the Sabbath day, must be done in order for people to be considered righteous and or worthy for salvation. The first caution to consider is that if a group chooses to attempt to obey the Sabbath day, as the LDS says, they had better not trifle with the meaning of that day or their obedience to it. You cannot tell God you are going to follow his law and then change the rules or intentionally dishonor them. This is why living in grace is so vitally important and refreshing and liberating to Christians. What grace says is, I am saved by Jesus' ability to have perfectly obeyed and kept the law in my place, since it is obvious that I am not capable of living it myself. And then as a result of this liberty and gratitude, I am free from the commandments and restraints of the law, and I trust that Jesus has saved me, not by my own righteousness, but by his, and therefore I want to follow him even more. And so it is by grace we are saved through faith in him who fulfilled the law on our behalf. Now, if you want to be judged by God's law, by your abilities to obey that law, you had better take it freaking seriously, okay? You cannot say, I'm going to live by the law and take it willy-nilly. You are going to be judged by the law, you better live the law. The law of God's it is a perfect law and trying to mix his law and grace or any admixture of the two is like the proverbial saying of trying to mix oil and water. You might shake them up for a second, but they are going to separate completely from one another. Paul said, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, the LDS claim as a religion that they keep the Sabbath day holy. If they're going to make this claim, as I said, they can't mess around with it. They either keep it or they don't. They either keep the Sabbath day holy or they don't. This being said, the day cannot be moved to another day of the week, like from a Saturday to a Sunday, the LDS have moved it. Sabbath day is a Saturday, always the end of the week. They've moved it to a Sunday, so there's one problem. But we're not going to even talk about that. Um, we're not going to talk about the fact that it was a covenant day between Israel, the children of Israel, and God. We won't even mention that. We won't talk about it that if you broke the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, if you picked up sticks on that day, or if you traveled a certain uh, distance, then the penalty was death. We're not going to talk about the penalty for breaking the Sabbath day. Let's just speak of the fact that you are going to be judged by the law before God and obedience to the Sabbath day observance cannot be arbitrary or optional. It must be kept perfectly. Scripture is very clear that if you're going to live by the law, you're going to be judged by the law. Romans says, as many of has sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Why do I bring this up? 
This past Sunday, an LDS-owned restaurant that I pass by all the time, which is never, ever opened on what they call the Sabbath day, had a sign outside of it that uh, said, uh, we're open for Mother's Day, exclamation point. Okay, now I want you to think about this. Some of you who have big hearts say, oh, that's so nice. Jesus would be happy about that. But the LDS constantly say you have to keep the Sabbath day holy. But they arbitrarily decide that they're going to break the Sabbath day for Mother's Day. So what they're saying then, what they're tacitly saying, what they're actually frankly saying is mothers are more important than God's law. Okay, that is what they're saying when they do things like this. You might view it as a Christian thing because as a Christian, there is no day of the week. And you might think, well, that they're open on Mother's Day is so nice. But they live by a thing called the Sabbath day rule. So the fact that they will break that arbitrarily in honor of a hallmark holiday is absolutely reprehensible. This is where the criticism comes from us. I prefer the grace and liberty found in Jesus Christ. I look for the day when the LDS can see the same thing. With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we uh, love you. We thank you for uh, all you do. We lift this show, this program up to you now. We pray for our studio audience, our volunteers, our technical staff. We pray for our listening audience that are, frankly, Lord, all over the world because of you. And we pray that we uh, will share things that are pleasing to you. We'll have good dialogue and discussion with callers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I started, just finished up two major books on uh, Mountain Meadows Massacre, ready to complete the series. It was a hair-raising experience to see exactly what went down there. Since the middle of March, we've been talking about the life of life and living in the Utah Territory under the ruler, uh, the leadership of Brigham Young. Uh, the environment we've been discussing, discussing certainly contributed to the butchering of over 120 innocent people who were traveling to California in the Fancher train from Arkansas. Last week we laid out two contributing factors of the many to the Mormon Mountain Meadows massacre of those 120 people. The first was Parley P. Pratt, an apostle, being murdered in Arkansas. If you recall, he was hunted down and killed by a man whose wife he stole and married. The second situation was in, when the United States government was pressing in on uh, Utah with 2,500 troops to remove Brigham Young as the governor and restore what it said from Washington under President Buchanan, law and order to this territory. They viewed it as a fiefdom run amok. As the Fancher train moved across the plains, a number of other factors were also in place that would certainly contribute to the events at Mountain Meadows. We're going to cover these factors tonight. Next week, we'll give a thumbnail chronology of when the Fancher party entered Utah and what happened as they traveled through the state and finally got to Mountain Meadows. And then finally, we'll wrap up um, with the, ap abs the uh, uh, reciting of the massacre itself. And then we'll follow up with what the LDS response was to the massacre then, what the LDS response is to the massacre now, and what I think ought to be considered in light of everything that's happened from the whole ordeal. Now there's one circumstance that I believe is foundational 
not only to the Mountain Meadows Massacre, but to all the strange and seemingly aberrant murders that have occurred in the state. In fact, I believe this singular event that I'm going to talk about now is foundational to the overall spirit that operates within the hierarchy of Mormonism. We need to step back in time to when Brigham Young assumed leadership of the church once Joseph Smith had been killed in Carthage. Brigham Young found himself very uncertain as to his ability to fill Joseph's shoes as a prophet. Uh, it's no wonder. Where Joseph Smith claimed to have received revelation on nearly every subject under the sun, and then some, Brigham was lacking in the ability to spout honestly, thus saith the Lord. He, he just didn't feel comfortable in doing that. Feelings and what the LDS call the spirit, and it's spelled S-P-E-R-E-T in most of the early writings of the LDS, so they would say that having the spirit of the Lord, have always played a major role in the religious experience to the Mormons. Upon meeting Joseph Smith, in fact, Brigham Young said that, quote, he felt his spirit to mingle with Joseph as two drops of water. And later he said it was like fire in his bones, end quote. John Taylor, a later an LDS president, said that an electric current ran up his arm when he shook hands with Joseph for the first time. Well, when Brigham found himself uncertain about his abilities to pro uh, prophesy um, by the Spirit, he was greatly concerned. I mean, Brigham had never had a face-to-face -face experience with God like Joseph claimed to have had. And what was he going to do with people all around him calling a prophet, seer, and revelator? LDS author Bagley writes that the answer came for Brigham on the morning of February 17, 1847. He had been very ill and with a fever, and at that time had an epiphany of sorts. He said he was taken to the world of spirits where Joseph and Hiram was. In this spirit world, Brigham found Joseph sitting near a bright window. Young grabbed Joseph and kissed him on both cheeks and asked him, quote, why we could not be together as we once was. The spirit of Smith reassured Brigham that they should not be together now. And then the dead prophet answered Brigham's most serious concern, how to be a prophet of God. Now, in light of the Bible, what Brigham said Joseph said to him is frankly terrifying, it, no matter how you slice it, because Joseph told Brigham in this spiritual vision, quote, the mind of man must be open to receive all spirits in order to be prepared to receive the spirit of the Lord, end quote. Following this advice, Joseph Smith supposedly showed Brigham Young a, a panorama of the LDS idea of the plan of salvation. Later, Brigham Young told his apostles to remember this dream, for it was, quote, a vision of God and was revealed through the spirit of Joseph. I'm sure it was. This experience gave Brigham the confidence to lead the saints out west from that point forward. Nevertheless, he never really embraced the role of prophet like Joseph did. In fact, he later said, quote, I don't profess to be such a prophet as were Joseph Smith and Daniel, but I am a Yankee guesser. That's the uh, self-description for a man these people trusted as their spiritual leader and king. A Yankee guesser who was willing to receive all spirits. 
Scary schnit, as far as I'm concerned. Well, within the August advice of the Bible, this is a recipe for pure evil. The Bible is emphatically clear to avoid familiar spirits, enchanting spirits, and the like, to run from them. We are warned not to entertain such influences and forces. And yet the spirit of Joseph told Brigham that he must be open to all spirits. I would suggest this receptivity to these spirits actually played a major factor and helped move many of the LDS in southern Utah to butcher 120 innocent men, women, and children, children who begged for their lives at knife point and gunpoint. Another major factor uh, was the LDS teaching that revenge was needed for the death of Joseph Smith and for their being persecuted and driven from the United States by angry mobs. Not turning the other cheek, my friends. It was not returning good for evil, not following the biblical directives that they say they were Christian, that it was a restored gospel of Christ church, and yet they were bent on revenge. On his way to Carthage jail, Joseph Smith said in one of his last recorded statements, quote, if they take my life, I shall die an innocent man, and my blood shall cry from the ground for vengeance. Prior to leaving Nauvoo, Illinois in 1845, Brigham Young added an element to the sacred temple endowment itself, probably while entertaining some strange spirit, which he called the Oath of Vengeance. Does this sound Christian to you, the Oath of Vengeance, compared to what Jesus taught in Matthew 5? Um, temple initiates, dressed in white and in a state of seeking the Spirit, would make a sacred pledge to God that said, quote, in the temples, dressed in white, quote, I will pray and never cease to pray and never cease to importune high heaven to avenge the blood of the prophet on this nation and will teach this to my children and to my children's children unto the third and fourth generations. This oath of vengeance stayed in LDS temple ceremonial rites for decades. Decades and decades. Bagley writes that once the Latter-day Saints were in this new mountain home here in Utah, they, quote, never forgot that they were refugees. They nurtured their bitterness, savored their isolation, and longed for the Lord to avenge their suffering, end quote. Time will not permit a recitation of all the quotes from Latter-day Saint journals, leaders, where they prayerfully waited upon the Lord to come in and heap vengeance upon the head of people who were Americans, they called them, uh, people of the United States. And it was revenge that was in the hearts of the people of southern Utah especially. This is not the history of Christianity, my friends. Uh, now, I want to remove Mormonism from the picture just for a second and bring the situation into a modern setting just for you to consider relative to Mountain Meadows Massacre. Imagine for a minute that there is a single man who lives in Las Vegas and this single man may have some odd religious beliefs and so the community doesn't like him. They're afraid of him. Communities are afraid of odd people with odd religious beliefs and so they sort of ostracize him at first then they stop doing business with him and then they drive him from Las Vegas. Now this isn't right. It happens all the time though. It happens on schoolyards. It happens in the corporate setting. It happens in our neighborhoods. People ostracize other people who are different. Okay? All would agree it's not right. But let's say this man 
is pushed out and he now resides in the desert somewhere. And instead of turning all these events over to the Lord, like the Bible says, what Jesus tells you to do to forgive your enemies, to love those who persecute you, to use the Bible as your guide, this man becomes embittered. And he believes that revenge needs to be taken upon people because it is not fair what life has dealt to him. Now, then one day, this nice, lovely family in their minivan going on a vacation to Disneyland in California travels through the desert and they leave Las Vegas and they get lost. And they come across where this man resides. And they stop to ask for directions. And this man takes them one by one and he categorically butchers them. He kills the father. He kills the mother with a knife, slitting her throat. He kills the children who beg for their uh, lives. Please don't kill me. And he slays them right there outside in the desert and leaves their bodies to rot. This is graphic stuff. What would you think of that man? Would you think, what would you think, now ask yourself, of his actions, especially if that man um, said he was a Christian? or said he, uh, he believed in God, would you say that's the acts of someone who believes in God? No, you would be appalled that someone would do this to somebody else. You would say he should, and you'd hear his history from the news, and, and people would put his picture on the cover of the magazine, and, and you'd read about him, and, and some of the bleeding hearts would say, well, you know, he, he was picked on by his community, and it made him angry. But as a Christian, if he claimed to be a Christian, we know that his duty to God is to forgive and to turn it to the Lord. Well, it's the very same scenario with the Mormon Mountain Meadows Massacre. They did not, as the Christians they claimed to be, turn it over to the Lord, return uh, uh, good for evil, forgive. They sought revenge. And that is the setting, these things that we have talked about, of Mountain Meadows. Don't let the time and era and distance cloud the fact that innocent blood was shed out there on those meadows by faithful uh, office-holding members of the LDS Church. All these factors we have put in, uh, we have been discussing: Pratt's death, the invading federal government, the LDS attitude toward revenge, the vitriolic speeches by Young against the United States, the fanatical spiritual reformation we talked about in March, the middle of March, imposed on by the brethren. All this contributed greatly to what uh, one-time LDS historian D. Michael Quinn called the culture of violence that permeated the saints in Utah. This place was a cauldron of violence waiting to happen. Add that to the fact that the Fancher party uh, was well-to-do and traveling through an impoverished area, that they came from Arkansas, that their cattle would feed on the grassland the Mormons believe belonged to them, and you've got the makings for one bloody disaster, which we're going to lead up to next week. We'll continue talking about it. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973. Uh, TV 20, 801-973-8820. Please uh, turn your t television sets down. Have a question. If you're LDS, we want you to call. If you're, we, we want first-time callers. We want LDS callers. And uh, we want people to share their heart. You don't have to compliment me or, or my, my appearance. That's okay. Uh, uh, but you can uh, just comment on whatever we're talking about or whatever you want to talk about. In the meantime, we're going to go to a spot and, uh, and look at that for a second about what's going on with the ministry. Hi, my name is Sean McCraney. I'm the host of Heart of the Matter and the founder of Aletheia Ministries. 
Uh, when my wife and I started Aletheia Ministries about six years ago, we underwrote all the expenses ourselves. Over the course of time, many of you have unsolicited uh, come alongside of us and supported us, and we thank you so much uh, for doing that. Uh, however, we've reached a point in the ministry where actually by the end of June of this year, uh, Aletheia Ministries, uh, heart of the matter, will cease to exist because of our financial situation. We can no longer subsidize the expenses ourselves. So uh, I really hate doing this. If you've watched the show, you know we are not about uh, money and finances. We've been on three years and we've never ever uh, done that and tried to solicit you to your funds. But what we would like you to uh, at least consider is to partner up with us, become a heart of the matter partner, H-O-T-M partner. And um, our board of directors have come up with this plan, so to speak, to come alongside God in this ministry and, um, and help us bring more people to the a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our ministry has seen an abundance of fruit and we've seen many people come uh, to the Lord as a result of God's ministry here uh, in Utah. And so we just want to introduce to you the HOTM Partners concept. Uh, you can go call 888-868-HOTM. That's 888-868-4686. It's a toll-free number. And you can get uh, ask, leave a message, or speak to an operator and get a brochure on how to become a partner. Or you can go online, www.hotm.tv, and become a partner right there online. So we need you now. It's urgent. And I know all television ministries say that, but it is. And we place this in God's hands and yours. God bless you. Hey, many of you have responded to that. We've uh, aired that three or four times now. We're going to air it through the uh, middle of June. I just want to know, uh, let you know that uh, your generosity for the Lord actually uh, has extended the life of, of uh, uh, Heart of the Matter uh, past June. And, and it's not, we're not looking to just continue to try to uh, keep it going month by month. We're looking for a long-term, sustainable, reasonable approach that people of all uh, shapes, sizes, financial conditions uh, can, can help and join and partner with us. So whatever you are doing, uh, we appreciate it if it's prayer. We appreciate it if it's faith, finances, if it's insights that you're sending us uh, about the Bible, about Mormonism, whatever it is, your support means so much. And uh, that's just where we're at. And so we, we love you and thank you. Received an email from a man who lives in the United Kingdom. I'm going to call him C., he wrote, I am a disaffected black Mormon living in the UK. I feel depressed about the fact that I have only ever had a vague testimony of Jesus Christ. I have only been married for one year to my wife who has been in the LDS gospel all her life. She is aware of my struggles. However, she does not want to discuss church matters. She tells me that she knows the church is true. However, feels that any dialogue on the finer details of the LDS church doctrines weaken her. HOTM is like a godsend. I have watched or listened to every program since 2006 and have taken up your challenge to get on my knees and pray for forgiveness. I ask Jesus to take over my life and change my heart. I'm devastated by the fact that I'm not seeing any changes. My moods and depression have worsened since taking up your challenge. I need all your prayers to help me through my trials because of my wife's family and elder LDS members could view my worsening moods as a direct result of moving away from their faith. What can I do? Well, I want you to know, see, a couple things, and I did email you back, but for those in the audience who are listening, 
the, the regeneration event in people's lives is not going to happen one minute too soon and it's not going to happen one minute too late, meaning it is all a subjective experience of the Lord working directly through you and what you need at that time. He, with some people, gives a miraculous metaphysical change. For other people, sometimes it is an, uh, a very vague, sometimes it's not even a response for a long, long time. He does these things based on his knowledge, his will, and what he knows you need in your life. But the scripture says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Christ and you, and you do this, you are saved. So then what you do, see, is you walk forward in faith. Hebrews says this is the way we please God, is by walking in faith. Now, faith does not mean you walk and you believe blindly all these things. God has given us plenty of evidences of himself. So you look at those evidences in the cosmos, in nature, in your family, in your love, in the slight changes you have in perspective and in your mind and in your heart. And with those little things that he's given you, you say, God, I'm going to trust your promise. Just like Abraham trusted God would have his seed go on forever and ever and ever, but he told him to kill his only son. Now, how do those things Abraham, through faith, trusted that God would be true to his promise for the seed to go on and on, yet he took his son up to, to sacrifice him. We will sometimes have to move forward. Actually, we choose to move forward in faith until God will then reward us for that faith with a knowledge that transcends emotional experience, it transcends uh, intellectual uh, assent, it transcends all these things that are of the world, Jesus says you will have a peace that is not of this world. When you get that, you will be, your faith will be verified through what he does through you. Have faith, move forward, pray, study the word, love your LDS wife like a Christian man would love his wife, and in the end, the Lord will bless this, I promise you. We're going to go to Ronald in Salt Lake City, first time caller on line one. This is the one. Ronald, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ronald? Ronald? Are we having an audio problem? Ronald? Ron, Ronald's just not there. We're going to go to Steve in Springville, line two. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Steve? No, we're get, we have an audio problem. So uh, have the operators go through the calls. I'll, I read some emails, but we're having an audio problem right now. You can call 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. And while uh, say a prayer for the uh, Lord to bless our audio problem, I almost got killed by the boom mic just now. <laughs> this is such a dangerous job and no one understands. Okay, uh, from our YouTube, now we, th this guy in Norway, uh, Teskafreen, he has put over 500 YouTube clips of our show on the internet and that's taken our show worldwide. And after you watch a, a YouTube clip of the show, people put comments and here's some comments people say. I really want to hear what McCraney has to say about our purpose in even going to heaven. Just sit around and play spiritual ping pong or something? Meet people? Like, honestly, I haven't heard anything from him concerning this. Well, let me tell you this, whoever you are who posted this. There is this thing, and it's really a stretch, I know, for Latter-day Saints, because Joseph gave you all the certainty and answers to every question you could possibly have. But 
in the Christian world, there's this thing called trusting God. And he says, the only thing he says about the afterlife is, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the glories that await them that believe. We also know that there are many mansions, okay? Now, what exactly we're going to spend our time doing, this is the thing. This is one of the differences between Mormonism and Christianity. Christianity says, I love and trust God so much that whatever he has me do, whether it's to play spiritual ping pong or meet people or sit on a harp like the LDS make fun of the Christians and play all day, whatever it is he has me do, it's going to be the most unbelievable, glorious thing because he loves me more than I would ever know. And so what he's going to have me do is going to be something great. But guess what? I trust and have faith in his plan. Now, the LDS church, Joseph said, nah, this just isn't enough. We need to have certainty in these areas. So what does Joseph say? He says, if you get to the celestial kingdom, the highest degree, if you obey your temple covenants and you pay tithing to get in and you're obedient, obedient, obedient your whole life, you and your wife will be able to smack out children and you'll be able to be a God over an eternal universe. And, you know, and he put, plants this whole picture in your head. You got to show that to me again, Brandon. And, uh, and on you go. Try to take another call. So uh, it, there is the difference between Christianity and Mormonism. Mormonism gives you certainty from men. Christianity gives you promises from God. Which one are you going to go with? Okay, so let's go. Let's try another call here. We're going to try Ronald again on line one. Ronald, you're on Heart of the Matter. Ronald, you got to turn your TV down. Ronald? 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 Dang it, Ronald. Okay, someone go back on and tell Ronald to put his uh, TV on. We're going to Steve and Springville on line two. Steve. Steve? 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 We're going to try Valerie in West Valley on line three. Valerie? Valerie? <coughs> Valerie? They, can, they can't hear me, but I can hear them. If that helps our audio department back there. You know, our audio department have a drug problem. Hello? And sometimes they show up, not exactly, we pray for them. And uh, no, I'm just kidding, audio guys, but something's going on. Someone pray. Let's read the next one. Uh, from YouTube, being a Christian just gives you an excuse to be lazy. Uh, he quotes, I'm okay. I don't have to be a good person. I'm saved by grace. Ha 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 You know, the thing that's good about these YouTube uh, comments is that it really does reveal the LDS heart. When people call the show, they're putting on their best LDS face. They're not sharing what they really feel and what they say to each other in priesthood meeting and relief society and in sacrament. They're not talking how they do amongst themselves. They are sharing their public face for you to believe that they love everybody. And it, but let me tell you, the first one was, what are we going to do? Sit around heaven and play spiritual ping pong? That's one idea they have about the Christians. Another one is this. It's okay. I'm saved by grace. Um, I, can, I don't have to be a good person. I'll do what I want. Now, Paul addresses this in uh, his epistles. And he says, when I came to understand grace relative to the law, I all the more threw myself into 
work for God, okay? I want you to know something, LDS. Just listen to me. It is easier as a human being in flesh to do works for your righteousness and your self-esteem and to feel good in your relationship to God than to trust in Him to save you as, by your faith. Did you know that? For instance, if I have a problem with looking at hot girls in bikinis, okay? I live in Huntington Beach. There's some of them around. Uh, my wife and my, my, but anyway. And so I, I go down and I have that problem. Now, I can respond by saying, I'm going to pay a little bit more to the church and I'm going to, I'm going to work a little bit harder in Sunday school and, and I'm going to do this because God needs, he needs to know that I feel bad about doing that. So I'm going to work. And when I work, I sweat a little bit. I lose a little bit of money to whatever. And I feel better about my flesh here. Okay. I've taken it into my own hands. Now, if I say, Lord, I am a sinful man. I, 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 I've done this and I know that you don't want me to lust. And I get on my knees that night and I pray to him and I say, I, I can't do this on my own, God. You see, I need you to step in and change me and forgive me for this. I trust in faith that you'll do that. And then he works through his spirit in me and helps me the next time I see that girl to see her as a daughter or potential daughter of God, someone who needs to hear the gospel, put on some more modest clothes, things like that, you see. But you, you got to understand, this approach of, I, I'm saved by grace, I'm going to, it doesn't work that way. The second point about it is this. I have never worked harder in my life than as a Christian. And it is not for me. It's not for any type of reward. It is strictly for him who saved me from hell because I was headed there. You're headed there too if you haven't been born again. So I was pulled from hell by this person who came down. When I say person, Jesus Christ, God came down in the flesh and he pulled me out of this pit of, I am eternally grateful why I was able to receive it and he ch chose me, I don't know. But I am so grateful, I will work day and night to try to share this message with others. Do you see the difference? Where you get an assignment and it says, you got to set up chairs in the culture hall in the third week of every uh, month. Okay, I'll do it. You know, you get your assignment versus giving your whole life to him, okay? So we're gonna try another call. Let's go again. We're gonna go with Ronald. Ronald in Salt Lake City, you're on the air. Ronald. Uh, let's try line three. Line, Ronald? Let's try line two. Anyone there? Yeah. Glory be to God. Who are you? Hello? Hello, are you there? Yes. Okay, who are you? Springville. Hi, Springville. I'm Huntington Beach. Now, what's your first name? Steve. Hey, Steve, what's going on? You're on Heart of the Matter. <laughs> hey, uh, um, a while back you were talking about Emma Smith. Emma Smith, yeah. And you said that, um, that uh, my neighbor's saying that she remarries another Mormon and came out here with Brigham Young and had other kids, and that's who she's related to that way? No. You said another story. How do I prove that you're right? Oh, gosh. Uh, you can go to church history. It is, I mean, the LDS church with themselves. You can go to their own. You can go to an LDS Relief Society manual on Emma Smith, and it will tell you the history. She never, ever came to Utah. She raised her sons and Joseph's sons in Nauvoo. She married Louis Bitterman, who is not LDS. She lived a very hard, tragic life. Her oldest I know son... You did. I, I, I listened to you when, when you... Uh... Yeah. 
So I'll, I'll kind of say it for the rest of the audience who doesn't know, but um, yeah, just you can go to Utah Lighthouse Ministry, utlm.org, and look that up, and they'll give you references straight from uh, LDS resources of what happened with Emma Smith. But your, your uh, neighbor is just misinformed. Well, she says you're lying. <laughs> cool. I'm going to get the information. Hey, thank you. You have a nice day. Okay, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Now, I, they're saying that, that that static is from the caller's phone. Let's try Ronald in Salt Lake City on line three. Ronald, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, awesome. I finally got through. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be quick because I know you have other people calling. Ronald, are you on a cell phone? Yes, I am. Okay, put that thing in your mouth when you talk because we can hardly hear you. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, you can go real slow and talk concisely. Okay, okay. Well, I like your show, and I think it's changing a lot of Mormons' uh, people's mindset. And I live in Salt Lake City, and I work here. I'm a Christian. Uh, I never heard about Mormon people till I came out here. So when I witness, start talking about God, the truth really does set them free. Yeah. And even though they're so strong-hearted towards being a Mormon, they acknowledge the fact that we're telling the truth. So, I, I, and another thing, I would like your show to last long, you know, for a long time. It's saving people's, uh, I believe Jesus died on the cross by our sins, and when he was on the cross, he said, Father, it's finished. He didn't need no help from Joseph Smith. And uh, that's the truth. So, and that's what I tell people. And uh, as far as the faith sees, you guys need, you know, you guys need money. God needs money. God's asking for money for your show. It's not you. It's God. And you, you guys are building God's kingdom Oh, You know, you, you're, you're going to get so much blessing on this earth and in heaven for what y'all are doing. It's a seed. So you are going to reap a harvest. Thank you so much, Ron. I appreciate your call, your support, and the words of encouragement. Awesome. God bless you, my brother. Bless you, too. I'm not sure asking him to uh, speak slowly uh, enhanced his delivery. But, uh, I've, uh, you know, I have to share this. This totally has nothing to do with religion. But they say one of the funniest moments in television history was in a scene from Taxi where... Um, uh, that guy who's the wasted drug guy, I don't know his name, he's taking a driving test and his friends are helping him cheat on it. And so uh, he comes to the question and the director said, now listen, when the audience responds to the laughter of this, just keep going until the audience stops laughing. And so he's taking the test and he says to his friends, number five, he says, what do you do at a yellow light? And the friends all said, slow down. And so he says, what do you do at a yellow light? And the audience breaks out in complete hysterics and they continue to laugh. And so the friends, they kept it going. They said, slow down. He goes, what do you do? It is one of the funniest scenes in the world. And I'm sorry, but that reminded me of that, asking our caller to call down. Call down. I'm wasting time. Nelson, sorry about this, folks. Nelson from Salt Lake City, first-time caller. Nelson, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hello. Uh, yeah, I wanted to 
mention a little bit about how hard it is to leave the Mormon Church. Yeah. Um, I wrote a letter to the, the, the church, tell them I don't want to be a member anymore, and I did it to the church office building. And, uh, and I just, just said that, you know, I don't want to go through any interviews or anything. I just don't want to be a member anymore. I don't believe in it, and I want anything to do with it. Okay. And uh, they wrote back, said, no, you have to go to your stake, President Bishop. And I wrote back, said, I don't want to do this. I think this is a violation of my constitutional rights. Huh? I don't want to be a member. They answered me again with a letter, uh, with a list of all their lawyers to contact these people. Wow. I, I took what they sent me, and I, I wrote a letter to Nancy Pelosi and gave her a copy of everything and said, Hey, this is not right. You know, I'm, I'm a U.S. citizen. I don't want to be a member of this church anymore, and they're giving me a hard time about it. Well, that was about a month ago. Now, every week I, I walk down to the main library here in, in Salt Lake City, and uh, the last three Mondays in a row, a complete stranger came up to me and said to me, Hey, what do you think of the Mormons? I said, I don't want anything to do with them. And they all say the same thing. They say, you can be right, and you can be dead right. And then they leave. Wow. Wow. Now, but since then I've done a little research, I found out that they've even changed the, the endowment ceremony and something. They used to give all kinds of death threats and everything in the endowments sure. about dismemberment. And all. They, they kind of lightened it up now for people. Yeah. But uh, I think that uh, people need to know, if you decide you want to be a Mormon, they're really vicious. You know, your uh, call is really timely because uh, we're going to come. In fact, I think we'll touch on it next week. But Brigham Young it ordered martial law in the uh -huh. state. And he said, if you, if you try to leave Utah, uh -huh. you will be shot dead. I mean, uh -huh. leaving is t uh, very tough. And even uh -huh. leaving today, they make it difficult on you because uh, they want to keep you. And they want to do... Uh -huh. and, and Have you gotten the letter well, from them that, that says... Have you gotten the letter uh -huh. from... The, yeah, I, I called you once before, and I mentioned uh, Martha Beck, Martha Nibley Beck's oh, book. Yeah. And then there she talks about people she knows, and, and like in the last 15 years or so, that were actually murdered by the church. Wow. Well, that one... People I, need to know this, you know. It's, yeah. it's not the all-nice church that everybody thinks it is, led by prophets, seers, and revelators. They're, they're vicious. Yeah. Well, a great call. I really appreciate it, Nelson. All right. Thanks so hey. much. Bye-bye. Good luck. Good luck trying to get out. That's really some strange stuff. We're having a very unique show tonight. Let's go to Valerie in West Valley City. Valerie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Valerie. I just wanted to call. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, in Anne's journal, the 19th wife of Brigham Young. Yeah. You know about it? Yes. I think she mentions in there about him ordering that massacre when he denied it. I think John Voigt would just love to get a hold of that journal. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's no conclusive proof. Absolutely. Well, the thing is, is look at all of their wives' journal. My great-great-great-great-grandmother's journal, for example, they went and took her out of Idaho, or out of England and brought her over here. Uh -huh. um, and she had no idea, and I took her journal to Doris last Thursday, oh. and I left you a video, me and my son. Oh, is that that? Oh, I have to check that out. Yeah, it, you just put it on your computer. It's, I made the Via Della Rosa video, and he made the Forgiven video. Well, thank you so much. We'll check it out. Maybe we can show some of that on the air. Oh, that would be nice. All right, Valerie, thanks so I much. Just, thank you so much for what you're doing. God bless you. We need to save him and love him to heaven. There you go. Okay. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. 
We're going to Charlie in West Valley City. Charlie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Hi, Charlie. Uh, this is Sean. It is. Hi, Sean. Hi. I uh, I got to make a, uh, just a statement. Okay. Um, well, since we're such a Christian state, the LDS is, uh-huh. uh, last week we had a National Prayer Day at the state capitol. I didn't happen to see not one single LDS member there. Wow. Now, when you say that, you mean LDS General Authority or anyone representing the LDS Church? Anyone representing the LDS now. Now, Huntsman, Governor Huntsman's wife did show up because he didn't want to show up or he was busy. Uh, doesn't that surprise us? But she did show up. She made a couple of comments and then left. Uh-huh. But that was the only one there that was a representative of the church or of the... LDS faith that I know of. That's interesting. LDS viewers, if you uh, know that the LDS have their own National Day of Prayer gatherings, will you call us and tell us about it? We're not going to hear anything. Uh, Great call, though. Thank you for the insight. It's just another thing about how Christian Mormonism is. Thanks, John. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Dan in Texas. Dan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello there. Hello, Dan. Yes, uh, sir, i got a question for you. Yes. I, um, I am a, I'm a Latter-day Saint. Yeah. And I have watched your um, YouTube videos. Yeah. And quick question for you. I, 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 every time I watch, I'm unsure of what it is that you're trying to accomplish um, in terms of your mission, your purpose. I've gone to your website, and I've seen your born-again Mormon um, campaign, but I'm still, I'm, I'm confused what it is you're trying to accomplish. Um, maybe you could explain that to me. Uh, it, it's not a singular purpose. We're multifaceted in our outreach, and, and I guess if I can give you just a quick summary, first and foremost, to reach the disaffected Latter-day Saints with the message of salvation by grace to give all those people, and we believe there's probably at least three-quarters to a full million people in this state alone who are by birth LDS, baptized at eight, walked away, and still consider themselves Mormon, but have no, absolutely no relationship to God because they were brought up in a church that taught them that it's the only true church on the face of the earth. Therefore, not being able to follow its tenets, they walk away to the world. So the first purpose is to reach the disaffected members of the church. The second is to reach the active and stalwart. And the third is to help see Mormonism fall to its doctrinal knees and crumble and be accepted into the body of Christ after it revises, changes, and admits uh, fault in its doctrinal presentations of the past. Well, I, I appreciate you explaining that, and um, that's well said. The only thing I would add is that I agree with most of what you said, um, except for the latter. But I believe that Latter-day Saints, they believe that they're saved by grace. Absolutely. There's no other way we can return to uh, the Father in Heaven or God the Father without the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay, now do you really want, are, do you really want to go down this semantical argument now? Oh, not a semantical argument at all. I, okay. I'm, just sugge- I'm just suggesting, uh, you know, rather proffering that 
That is exactly what they, they believe. Now, if we're going to get down into faith without works is dead, no. that whole spiel, no. No, I'm not even getting, going into there. Okay. But the grace of Jesus Christ was, was offered to us simply by the fact that he came at the behest of the Father okay. and decided that he would sacrifice himself for all mankind. Okay, I understand that. We are in agreement on that. But let me ask you this. Um, to live with, in the parlance of the LDS, live with Heavenly Father again, okay? You're saying that your belief alone in Jesus Christ and the grace that occurs because of that faith will put you in the presence of God the Father again? That is a, that's a, that's a, it's a good question, but there's many questions inside of it. What, and, what, and, it's a yes or no answer. Well, the, the overarching um, answer is yes. However, what? and there is a subordinate there. However, the, uh, God the Father, through His Son Jesus Christ, has extended the invitation for us to live a God-fearing life. And by living a God-fearing life, we extend our love and our grace and our charity to other people. So and, therefore, and then, you're saying that you're, you're living with God again is predicated both on grace and on works. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Okay. Now, th now that you've said that, okay, you've said that, you've admitted that, right? Well, that's not, not something I admit, but rather something that I proclaim. Yes, sir. Okay, you proclaim that. Can I read you a passage of Scripture? Yes. Is it from the Bible, the Book of Mormon? Where is it from? Well, the only Scripture I know of is the Bible. Well... You know, the Bible is Scripture. Okay, we're, we're, not going Bible, down, we're not going down that road. I just kind of said that sarcastically. Let me read, oh, let, okay. let me, let me read this to you, and, and, and let me ask your thoughts on it, okay? Awesome. Okay, Paul said, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace yeah. is no more grace. But if it be right. of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. So what he's saying is there... It can't be a combination of the two. Right. It's going to be grace, or it's going to be works. Well, there's always, but that's the thing. That's the, in the Bible, in its in, in all of its veracity, it still is. It still is, um, unfortunately, played with a lot of contradictions, because truly, grace, uh, grace alone, grace alone, alone, okay, now is is not is not sufficient for us. Okay, now wait a it's second. Not you started off by saying that you believe that grace alone is enough. That was your original premise in calling me. Sean, my original premise when my original premise was seeing what your campaign was about. But when you, all, when you when you asked about the grace, and this is my only question, what I proclaimed was that ultimately grace is what saves us because that is what saves us. Because after all we can do, we still can't do enough. There's no, no, we can never do enough. However, God requires of us to follow a life as Jesus Christ did. Okay. He, he, he asks us to do that. But you can't follow a life that Jesus Christ did. That's why Jesus came. No, he, he set a very good example for us, the best example that there can be, a perfect example. Okay. And, and, and with our faith, if we have not works, our works are dead. So we have to have faith. We have to have works. No, not your works are dead. It's, it's faith without works is dead. It's saying that faith, it's not talking about works there, it's talking about faith. That you Absolutely. show your faith by, your, by the things you do. But it doesn't have anything to do with faith that saves you. 
you understand that? Well, I believe, brother, I believe that salvation cometh to all men. However, and, and we don't want to get into the, the very the different doctrines regarding salvation, but the mere fact that Christ came, he saves all mankind from death. That is one thing that I believe to be true. Okay, now, now we're going into salvation and the rewriting of salvation. Let's just stay on grace for a second. You said, you said that there's a, there's a footnote, there's a subtext to Paul's comments, and that is, yes, we're saved by grace, but there's a subtext, and that's we gotta, we're going to do what the Father wants us to do, and when we do that, we're going to be saved, but it's grace that will make up the difference between all of our efforts that are done, and then the grace comes in and saves us anyway. This is your premise, right? No, no because that's why we have to continually accept Jesus on a daily basis on a personal basis with him and I for him to ask for, for me to ask of him hey I didn't do well today I didn't I did something wrong I need to be forgiven and, and alone. okay and then okay so I'm just laying this out so the other, other callers can hear I understand where you're coming from I really do think I know what you're, you're thinking but so let me ask you this what are the major things that you would have to do that God expects you to do as a believer in Him that is going to ensure your salvation? Just give me the major things. The major things would, uh, would be exactly what are taught from us from modern-day revelation, because I believe as well that there's modern-day revelation. Well, of course you do. So I understand the general. What are the specifics that, that modern revelation says that, that Joseph Smith said you must do in addition to, to show that you're following God? Well... Just give me. Just be honest with me and tell me. I know what they are. I can lay them out for you. But you tell the audience what they are. Well, exactly. Um, enter into enter into the gate. That Baptism. Absolutely. Okay. What else? Furthermore, um, to take upon ourselves the name of Christ. Okay. And to receive the Holy Ghost. All right. What else to live in the, with God the Father again? And don't be dishonest with me. To, to accept Jesus Christ as as my Savior, and remember Him always. And then what else? To continually have a spirit to be with me. What else? Um, to uh, go to holy places. What does that mean? Go to what? Go, go, go to holy places, the temple. Go to the temple and do what? Make certain covenants and ordinances with, with, with Him personally. Okay, and those are through the temple, and those the new and everlasting covenant is one. Do you have to be married... Uh, sealed for time and all eternity to live with God again, according to doctrine. Yeah, you're you're, you're going to find conflict, uh, conflicting, conflicting things. You're probably going to be able to say one guy said this or one guy said this, and the answer is no, because we know from modern day revelation that if a say for example a woman cannot find a spouse here or she cannot get married in the temple here for for whatever reason that will be offered her at a later time or he at a later time but he will have to get that done and ultimately to be there yes exactly okay yes, exactly that, that, that would be we are absolutely out of time your call has been very informative i appreciate it thank you so much we'll talk again god bless you god bless you bye-bye now, uh, I want you to know that uh, the difference between everything that caller from Texas just laid out, and you can listen to it over and over again, and you can hear what they're doing, is that the Christian says, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, I trust in you and your shed blood in your righteous life. And I will die. I will go to and stand before you and say, it's all you. I will die with that. He can die with temples and ordinances and rites. We'll see where it ends up in the end. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the light-filled monkeys start.